If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Well, good Sunday afternoon, and welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Our guest today is uh, retired police lieutenant Randy Sutton, and uh, Randy is a spokesman for the American Council on Public Safety. It's uh, defendingtheshield.org. He's written three books on policing and American heroism, and he is really a remarkable man. He is going to be talking to us today about his experiences in dealing with the federalization of police departments. He's going to be talking openly about uh, the process that uh, happened as the result of the so-called Summer of Love and uh, Antifa BLM riots that uh, happened all over this country. We're going to be talking very openly and candidly about just exactly what has happened to American policing and the attacks on the idea of following a rule of law instead of uh, rule of rulers, and that's where we're at right now. Randy, uh, it's the first time we've had a chance to talk on air. We have spoken on the phone off air, but I'm really excited about doing this program with you because I, I have a lot of good friends who are either in uh, policing or retired. A lot of them are retired now. But uh, what's been happening to law enforcement over the last uh, number of years, and I'm going to say it's certainly the last three years, and it happened a lot during the Obama administration, uh, really it was tough on police work, and it was tough on the profession because there was so much anti-policing uh, effort put into the, uh, and we always get back to the same term that Obama used, the fundamental transformation of America, uh, transforming us from a constitutional republic to a socialist uh, Marxist democracy. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little bit too far afoot here. Uh, my politics and yours, I think, are fairly close, but uh, I, I want you to tell us about what's been happening with the police departments nationwide. I know that they've been losing officers like crazy. I want to make sure that uh, our listeners get a chance to hear from the guy that was there in the trench and what's going on 
in America today in policing. All right. Well, first of all, I've got to give you a little update. You introduced me as a part of the American Council on Public Safety. That that organization no longer exists. Uh, I am the founder of an organization called the Wounded Blue, and we are the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers, a nationwide charity that's helped more than 13,000 law enforcement officers across this nation who have been either injured physically or emotionally and psychologically. And this is something that we're dealing with on a nationwide basis. And Mm -hmm. it's all rolled into the topic that we're discussing today because the war on cops is very real. Um, Last year, 378 American law enforcement officers were shot in the line of duty. That's an astounding number. Um, Just uh, in January alone, 32 police officers were shot in the line of duty. Uh, Ambushes of law enforcement officers have have risen dramatically. Uh, Assaults on law enforcement officers, city of New York um, had more than 5,000 injuries of police officers who were physically attacked. And nationwide last year, more than 60,000 were physically attacked wow. in the line of duty. These are these are numbers that are absolutely astronomical. Um, and so what my organization does is we help police officers who have been injured either physically or psychologically and emotionally. So um, there is a crisis in law enforcement. There is a crisis of public safety. And it is and it has been created by several um, several presidents, uh, beginning with Obama. And um, and now we have the most lawless president um, that's ever taken the stage, so to speak, in America. The Joe Biden administration is absolutely lawless. They, they care nothing about public safety. They care only about their own political agendas, which are so perverted uh, that they will allow they will allow millions and millions of illegal migrants in who are who are um, a cancer to this this country, especially concerning crime. I mean, this this last murder of this young girl down in um, Georgia is a perfect illustration. This should, every American, every American should be up in arms mm-hmm. that a, that a that a beautiful young woman with the future before her, her life was taken brutally by uh, a Venezuelan illegal immigrant who was ar- who was released by the Biden administration into this country. And it's happening all over America. So um, there's plenty to discuss here. Oh, yeah. We've got fertile ground. No question about it. Uh, not to mention all the human trafficking that has resulted from this illegal immigration. And that's a big item when you're talking prostitution, we're talking slavery, literally, uh, in this country that's happening as a result of all this craziness. And the police departments are stole, uh, told to stand down. I, uh, we've had, uh, uh, we've had Stu- uh, Stephen Friend on our program, uh, the FBI whistleblower, uh, who testified before Congress. He was in Florida with the FBI doing investigations into human trafficking, 
and he was pulled off of that to uh, go with SWAT teams and attack uh, uh, January Sixers, who you know could have just easily, like he said, knocked on the door and uh, just gone in and talked to him. Instead, they uh, using stormtrooper tactics. Uh, this is the kind of crap that's going on. Our whole country now is a microcosm of mismanagement. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, you know, the um, in, in, my, in my 34 years as a police officer, by way of a little background, I, I was a cop in New Jersey, the, the town of Princeton, for 10 years. And then um, I was looking for a little more action. So I uh, changed careers, went to the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and did 24 years with, uh, with Metro, uh, retiring as a police lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And um, so my my career was wide and, ver- and varied, including uh, working closely with the FBI um, on a, on a federal task force, and um, that was very eye opening. Uh, but at that time, the FBI was much less politicized than it is now. Uh, we actually did police work together, mm-hmm. and we actually put bad guys away, and that's still happening on the lower levels. Of of the FBI, there there are, there are many many many. I'd have to say the majority of agents are dedicated law enforcement officers who want to be given the ability to police to you know conduct their law enforcement investigations. Now, remember this: that even in the best of times, the FBI is one of the most bureaucratic organizations that's that's, that's that exists, mm-hmm. especially in law enforcement. So they have a ponderous process. You got to get permissions all the way up the the chain of command to basically, you know, make enforcement decisions. So the 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 system itself is is um, is is mired in bureaucracy. But I do believe that the majority of FBI agents simply want to be able to protect their nation and protect it with um, you know conducting law enforcement investigations. So the the problem is that at the upper levels of uh, of the FBI, it has become so politically inclined that they have begun perverting the mission. And this has been going on for quite a while. Um, I have friends that were very high up in the FBI and left very senior positions because they watched as politics um, played a major role in shielding high-ranking politicians and very, very wealthy people, even when they were committing serious, serious crimes. So this is not new, but I think that it's it's gotten to the um, point where um, there should really be a purge of, uh, of the top level FBI, and there should be uh, an independent, an independent law enforcement committee installed, made up of real law enforcement officers mm-hmm. and prosecutors who can uh, reshape the hierarchy of the FBI and create what it should be. Um, remember, I, I did a I did a, an article once called, um, they used to be called the untouchables, and now they are the untrustables. And <laughs> and this is something that, that really, um, it degrades our nation and degrades the public safety 
And and when you when you add the fact that it is for political purposes to shield uh, high-ranking politicians and very very wealthy people, this is the very very definition of corruption. And we and and being being a law enforcement officer, um, I have the great amount of pride in what the law enforcement mission is. And when I see someone who uh, either on the highest levels of, of administration down to the street cop who tarnish what that badge means, I take that very, very personally. And, and there's, I can tell you this, I've interacted with, with tens of thousands of cops across the country, both in my role as a police officer and in my role as the founder of The Wounded Blue. And I can tell you there's a great deal of pride in the image and what that badge stands for with most of the law enforcement community in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And and this is something that, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, so-called summer of love, the uh, George Floyd uh, debacle, and incidentally that, yeah, that you know, it wasn't the debacle the police did. It was the debacle that uh, our political leadership didn't put an end to this crap right where it started. But uh, let's just say that during that entire process, police were getting hammered all over this country as abusing people. And the part that was so strange about that, Randy, is so many of these cops were black cops that were uh, just trying to do their job, and uh, yet, that, you know, they completely blew off the fact that a lot of minorities are in the police department, and they're just trying to do their job, and they're being stopped as well, and they're being accused of being Uncle Toms or whatever, and this is just crap. Yeah, the the uh, the conviction of Derek Chauvin was a travesty. Mm -hmm. um, Liz Collins, who was uh, uh, one of the top anchors in Minneapolis, um, has written a book called They Lied and has produced a film called The Fall of Minneapolis. I've seen the film. Yeah. Right. And Liz is, is a personal friend. Um, I know her through her husband, uh, Lieutenant Bob Kroll, who was the uh, head of the police union in Minneapolis for years including when the debacle of the George Floyd situation took place. I know um, they are highly credible people. Um, it, it, anybody that sees the film and reads the book will come away with a complete differing opinion mm -hmm. of what you have been fed by the politicians who created the uh, false narrative of uh, that George Floyd, you know, the the innocent George Floyd who was murdered by the. It, it is it is literally one of the greatest travesties of false prosecution that's ever befallen law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And uh, I urge people to read the book and and see the film. You know how powerful it is. Um, but this this environment that was created undermined law enforcement in ways that we've never seen before. Even, you know, like I say, the, it, it began, the erosion of respect for law enforcement began under Barack Obama. Barack Obama hated cops. No mm -hmm. ifs, ands, or, 
butts about it. He hated cops. He made it very clear from, from his first year. Right. And I, I can tell you the watershed moment that began the, began the change. It was when Barack Obama publicly came out and said the police acted quote, stupidly unquote, um, in the arrest of a Cambridge professor who refused to cooperate with law enforcement, who was there investigating a report that a guy was breaking into a house. Well, Turned out that it was his house, but he forgot his keys and the guy's breaking into the house. So a neighbor sees it, calls the police. The police ask him for his ID and he says, I'm not giving it to you. A perfectly reasonable um, ask if you're in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. And he wound up, because he was uncooperative, wound up going to jail and getting released. Well, um, Barack Obama came out and, and literally defamed the police. Um, and that began the erosion and then he also waged war against the police by utilizing the Department of Justice um, as a tool to undermine law enforcement in many, many cities, literally sicking the DOJ on to police departments um, to create what they call consent decrees. Consent decrees are uh, one of the most corrupt um, tools being utilized by the Department of Justice and federal government against law enforcement. That began under Obama. Mm -hmm. And then when Trump took over, Trump had the great, had great respect for law enforcement. Um, I personally know many, many cops who interacted with him way before he was the president of the United States. And the, the stories are legion of Trump's respect and kindness towards law enforcement officers for literally for decades. Um, and he helped restore um, he helped restore law enforcement in, in, in a lot of different ways. And then when Biden came into office, it was open season, mm -hmm. open season. And uh, Biden has uh, been, you know, and, and, and here's the, I got to be upfront with you guys. I don't consider myself a political person. I don't believe politics should play a role in decision-making for law enforcement. I believe the law should play that role. Mm -hmm. And and enforcement um, should be done equally, should be done impartially. Um, I am a huge believer in what this sign of, of, the, um, of lady justice wearing a blindfold means. But that blindfold has been ripped off. And, and now through the eyes of a corrupt administration, uh, the, the war on cops, um, takes on many, many forms. It's not just the physical war, it's the psychological. It is the, the media role. The media's role in, in the undermining of law enforcement is absolutely incredible. The great lie of Ferguson, hands up, don't shoot, mm -hmm. was probably one of the most damaging uh, instances that, that, has, that has taken the lives and careers of many of, of more cops than I can even possibly imagine because of, of that began that that completely false narrative. And even after it's been proven that it never happened, you still see politicians talking about hands up, don't shoot, and, and making a martyr out of out of out of that 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 uh Michael Brown who's nothing but a punk. Right. So um, there's there's so much to unpack here um, that unfortunately we 
in law enforcement. And even though I'm no longer active service, I am deeply involved in law enforcement because of my role as the founder of an organization that helps injured and disabled cops. Mm -hmm. Well, you, what you're doing too is uh, shining a light on the fact that uh, so many police officers are under attack and the damage is incredible. You know, you mentioned early on the the physical attacks on them, but mentally there's a lot of cops. And that was, of course, in that film uh, that was part of that film, uh, uh, The Fall of Minneapolis, was understanding how so many of the cops are just saying, I can't take it anymore. Uh, I can't live this way. I am tired of being uh, uh, used as a scapegoat for uh, a society that's uh, having problems. Yeah, the, um, so in all the years that I've served, I can tell you that, that the majority of police officers are actually idealists. Mm -hmm. they, be they believe that, that um, they're the sheepdogs and they're protecting the flock, um, that they are the warriors who are protecting against the horde. And, and, and that's a legitimate, um, that's a legitimate feeling. Uh, now, when you suddenly are being told that, that you're not that, you're actually the, the cause of the problem. Mm -hmm. And you're told that by your leadership, the very people that, that you work for, in both in the political realm and also very often in the administration of, of many agencies. Let me tell you something. I've, I, am, I am privy to many, many um, inside stories of law enforcement administration. And there are some great leaders out there, but there are a ton of political pawns who have been put into positions of power just to be lackeys for the mayors, city councils, senators, governors, um, who are really wielding the power. And the problem is that when you have the power of appointment, that you, as the mayor or the city council, can give it this, this amazing position of chief of police to a, an individual whose job is on the line for every decision that they make. And if they don't go along with the program, then you're not going to be the chief anymore. Mm -hmm. So they hold this enormous sword over the head of, of law enforcement leadership, and they either um, they either give in to the pressure or they get or they get fired. So they, so what you have is in many, many major cities across the United States, you have leadership in place that are either inept, incompetent, or so politically pawned out that they that their leadership is destroying the um, the morale of their officers and destroying the um, um, the way that that law enforcement uh, conducts its business, and so you have this amazing amount of frustration where mm -hmm. cops are being told not to police. That's, that's the reality. It, you have, you have states and cities and governments that are telling the cops, 
In fact, some of them had to change the law and saying, yeah, we know that law is on the books, but you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to actually enforce it because we don't want the police actually interacting with people because the more interactions you have, the more possibility that there's something that there's going to be 15 seconds of videotape that's going to look bad to the public. That's that's the kind of um I'm not going to use the word that I normally use in this conversation, <laughs> but let me put it this way. Um, you can insert whatever word you, you choose to, but it is adding to the cowardice of, uh, of enforcing the laws by the, by uh, the people who should be enforcing them um, because they're scared to death of the ramifications, even when acting legally, lawfully, morally. And that is what's demoralizing our police. Yeah. And well, and it's a reason so many have chosen not to go into police work that otherwise would. Now, we've lowered the standards for uh, people entering into uh, police work. That happened because of all the uh, emphasis on getting more minorities involved in policing. And, um, you know, I understand the idea of having um, minorities uh, policing in minority neighborhoods. I think that's a, a legitimate thing to do. But we shouldn't uh, be lowering the standards for, for the whole uh, network of policing uh, just to try to accommodate uh, certain genders or, you know, you, you name it. I mean, and what do you think about what's been happening? Because you started about the time that they started reducing those standards. That's about the time that you came in was just before that happened. If you were there that long, you, you started back in what, the early 19, 80s? 1976. Okay. Okay. Good. That's a Beautiful time to be getting into police work. That's just about when things started going to hell. Well, okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. Um, when I started policing on the East Coast, it was um, majority male or white male oriented line of work. Um, there were there were very few blacks or very few Hispanics and very few women, um, and and. I got to tell you, I was one of those people that didn't believe that women should be cops. When I was, when I, and now I was hired at the ripe old age of 19. Okay. Mm -hmm. So wisdom wasn't really a part of my thinking process. And, and I fully believe that, that, you know, with this, this was a man's job. Um, I have in, in the, in the decades following that, I, I no longer believe that at all. Right. I believe that women play an integral role, and I've seen some. I've seen some badass women cops in my time. I've worked with them. Um, I've seen. It's it's not about the gender. It's about what is in here and up here. Um, I've seen plenty of of brave, brave women cops who will go toe to toe with anybody. Um, so I don't believe that. I don't believe my. My opinion changed as I was more educated and I was and I was um, uh, exposed mm -hmm. to more and more female officers as they came in. Now, um, I had a partner, a female partner, who was the worst. 
when I was a young cop. She she was the stereotypical coward female police officer who never should have been given the badge to begin with. And eventually, after five years, she was terminated because she was literally not meant to be a cop. And she was she acted with with uh, um, she was a she was a stain on the badge. Um, and she managed to survive for five years and keep her badge against against every uh, you know it was a small agency, thirty cops, and you can't hide. You you are who you are. And her she showed her cowardice um, early early on, but because of politics back then, mm-hmm. the chief wanted to keep a female officer. So then, as I as I was exposed to good cops who happen to be female, my opinion changed completely. Now, let's talk about the minority issue. Um, There is a necessity to recruit uh, black officers, Hispanic Mm -hmm. officers, Asian officers from all parts of our community. No question. That this is a a must, that we have to reflect um, the makeup of who we are as Americans. And and um, here's where the some issues come in. And believe me, I, I created um, one of the jobs I had with Metro, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police. I was in charge of advanced training as a supervisor. And so during that time, I created a program which I went on to teach nationally called Policing with Honor, how to survive your career ethically as well as physically and emotionally. And it was, and so I, I was a, a huge student of law enforcement history as it relates to misconduct, corruption, and and uh, best practices. And I can tell you that there is nothing new when it comes down to changing standards from police agencies who want to fulfill a quota. It's been going on for decades, and it has led to some of the most um, embarrassing moments for law enforcement, including in Miami. Um, this was an infamous case, and is a, it is a perfect example of what happens when politicians interfere with the hiring process for law enforcement. So it was a huge, back in the 80s, huge influx of, uh, of um uh, Spanish-speaking people coming from the boat lift and and other you know Latin American countries coming to the United States, and they were settling many times in Miami. So the Miami Police Department, in their wisdom, and I'm using air quotes with that, mm-hmm. decided that they needed to recruit Spanish-speaking officers no matter what. So instead of holding their standards. They started allowing his. If, if you could speak Spanish, you were getting hired, even even to the point where they hired people with criminal records. Wow! And it led to one of the most infamous, widespread corruption scandals in American policing history, where the police officers were actually dope dealers, and they were killing other dope dealers stealing their dope in uniform and then selling it. And I mean, it was, it was a, a murderous gang of cops who never should have been given that badge. Well, now let's fast forward. You think we would learn from that. 
You think we would learn from that? You would think. Yeah. Let's look at Memphis and the, the arrest of, of five police officers there. Last, I think it was last year who uh, beat a man to death who was associated with them. And these guys were former gang members. And they were hired because they were they 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 um, took the the standards and they diminished them in order to fulfill certain quotas. That's one thing that the police should never ever ever do. The standards should be kept to a high level because otherwise it becomes the self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. You bring in people who shouldn't be cops, then they act in ways that reflect why they shouldn't be cops. And then you point at it and say, see, look at those cops. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Here's what, here's what American policing needs to do. American policing needs to take a page out of the Marine Corps handbook. When, when all of the branches of service, when we went to a volunteer military service, the Army and the Navy, they, they were their ads were, you know, get a college degree, you get these benefits, you get this, you get that. What did the Marines do? The few. We want a few good men. The, that's right. The few <laughs> proud, the Marines. That's exactly what American policing needs to do right now. The few, the blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That was the biggest problem that I think happened uh, to American policing throughout the, and and you you started in the mid seventies. That's about when you started to see the transition, and it was because they were trying to meet quotas. So that's okay, you know, you can do the quotas, but you don't reduce the standards to to uh, try try to pick up a quota. What you do is you create a standard that people want to be part of. Exactly. And, and, and believe me, the race doesn't play a role in, in corruption, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at New York City in the, in the, in the early 70s, late 60s, before Frank Serpico mm-hmm. came on the scene, um, you had a department that was riddled with corruption. It was mostly a white police department. It doesn't matter what the, what the race is. What matters is the character of the person. Right. And it's that character that needs to be um, associated with law enforcement, people of good character. Now, there's a challenge here. The challenge is how do you get qualified people that want to be cops, especially in this day and age when, when law enforcement has been so damaged um, purposefully mm-hmm. by uh, the liberal left and, and the media who have just said, you know what, we're going all out against the cops. Um, I, I've seen prosecutions of police officers for absolutely doing their job. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that demoralizes other officers who are watching, what, believe me, what happens in a small town in New Jersey is going to reverberate all the way to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And they see an injustice taking place against a cop because he's a cop. So you, when you have a, when you have a, a, an entire profession that's been demonized, dehumanized, demoralized, you have a, you have a, a, a crisis 
And, and I can tell you this with, with certainty. This crisis is generational. This is going to affect everyone in America for a generation. And there's nothing on the horizon that I am seeing from any level of government or any leader other than a few states that is going to forestall this continuing crisis. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse until the American public says we've had enough and puts people into office that should be there. People that care about their community, not because of politics, but because they are common sense oriented. We've, we've completely tossed out common sense. It doesn't exist anymore in, in the majority of, of our government <laughs> and in decisions made by governmental leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Randy, uh, in fact, I'm, I was kind of hoping we could get into that, and that is the federalization, because there's a lot of people in this country that want big government, and part of the wanting of big government is to get federal cops to replace all local cops. Then they lose local accountability and you can get them to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. It's kind of like bringing the UN into the United States to be uh, the, uh, the soldiers in the United States because they know that uh, people from other countries don't have any respect for Americans or American way of go government. It's the same thing when you federalize the cops, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't believe the federalization will ever take place in American law, law enforcement. I don't believe well, it. I hope, I hope not. Yeah. Um, and 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 here, but here, there's some other aspects that um, that are that play a role in in the argument for federalization. And one of those arguments is training. Let, let me let me describe the way police train. And remember, I was, I still am a police trainer. Mm -hmm. I've, I've trained thousands of cops across the country. You have 17,000 plus different police agencies in this country. Mm -hmm. Every one of them has a different leader. Every one of them has a different set of policies. Every one of them is trained differently. The way I'm trained in New Jersey is not the same way I'm going to be trained in California. There is, There are some basics that are always taught, but when you have, when you have one state where the, the mandatory training is 600 hours and another state where the mandatory training is 1,600 hours, mm -hmm. you get a completely differently trained police officer. And so... I actually believe that there should be standards that are nationalized when it comes down to how we train our cops. I should be given the opportunity as a young police officer to, to, to be the best trained cop I can be. And when the budget of, of that city says, you know what, we we're only going to give you 600 hours of training because that's all we can afford to do. Then you are placing me 
in a position of failure, both in failure in, in tactics and survivability, but also in getting the job done so that I can retire after 25 years of service um, without having you know, been prosecuted for some, for some issue. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I, I believe in is a standardization of police training. Um, and also the same thing, background checks. Mm-hmm. One of the things we've seen, especially involved in corruption and misconduct issues, is that the standards in um, in Smithville, Tennessee, uh, a, a, a community that may have f- 10 cops, may be entirely different than that of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. There may be the good old boy system, which still exists. Hey, uh, I'm going to put my nephew, I'm going to give him that badge and that gun, even though he hasn't passed a background check. And so there is no nationalized um, standard that has ever been adopted that says, you know, this is the way we should we should conduct business. And so as a result, you have people getting hired that shouldn't be hired. Now, how that would be implemented, I don't know, but I do believe that there should be there should be serious background checks that are unfortunately, I have seen this with my own eyes where for political purposes, somebody gets hired as a cop who shouldn't be getting hired. They will diminish the standards or they will they will just say, you know what, let's look the other way on this one. Mm-hmm. And it always comes back to bite the department in the butt, always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I would go along with that. I think uh, there has to be a level of... Um, minimum standards that uh, should be involved in policing no matter where you are. But I do believe that uh, individual local policing is the answer to having uh, law and order and certainly a lot more justice on the streets because local policing has a better handle on all the different aspects of the local community. You know, who the problems are, who the uh, you know, who, who who the people you can depend on and uh, what the standards are. It's all, uh, all policing ought to be local. And I know that uh, John Birch Society has done uh, a whole program on support your local police. And I think that's the reason behind that is because we recognize that one size can't fit all. But what you're talking about is a level of proficiency and professionalism, and I do think there ought to be standards for that. I agree with you, and I also, but I can also tell you that the realities of the word local policing. Let's 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 dive a little deeper into this. So, as I said, seventeen thousand different police agencies, seventeen thousand mm-hmm. plus. Well, eighty percent of those departments have less than 20 cops. Right. Right? Right. So you have communities that have one cop. You have communities that have two or three cops. And so they want to, they're, 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 they don't, the chief doesn't want to give up their position. 
They don't want to regionalize. They don't want to cooperate. So you have all these independent leaders because they want to protect their FIFA. And same thing with city council leaders and mayors and such. They want that power of having that police, their mind, their mind. Mm-hmm. When efficiency and, and safety of the officers, which is paramount to me, would dictate, listen, you got five different cities that have two or three cops. Why wouldn't you regionalize and and create an agency that has more coverage, safer coverage, and and the ability to cut the costs of 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 five different police chiefs instead of having one leader that can oversee? And I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just making up a number five, sure. but um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, in, I, I, when I, I left Princeton Borough, I was a cop in Princeton Borough. Princeton Borough was surrounded by Princeton Township. We each had 30 cops when I left, 31, 32. And the city and the two towns had completely got different governments. Princeton Borough had its mayor. Princeton Township had its mayor. Princeton Borough had a city council. Princeton Township had a city council. They each had different police chiefs. And different communication systems. It was so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And they tried to combine several times. Well, finally, a few years ago, common sense after decades of, of dumbness, they did finally merge, which made a much more efficient police agency and one safer for the cops and safer for the community. But there is this, there is this thinking where God, we want to have, we want to control that. And it's, it's it's it is self defeating. Um, then I I went to Las Vegas Metro. Well, why is it called Metro? Because in 1972, the city of Las Vegas Police Department combined with the Clark County Sheriff's Department, creating a metropolitan police department, which was much more efficient, much safer, a better a better um, a standard of of uh, hiring. And although it was painful at the time, from my understanding, of combining the two different philosophical, every police agency has its own philosophical um, uh, differences. Mm-hmm. So creating that police agency, there was pain at the time, but it wound up creating one of the biggest, one of the ninth largest police department in the country, and also one of the proudest. Well, that makes sense. And I, I know what you're saying because I've I've been a, a county commissioner in uh, in Montana, and we, we had uh, in my county three different road departments, uh, each one for a particular district, and they had duplications of everything. And I suggested early on, why don't we just have one road department? we can get by with less equipment and uh, do a better job if we were to do it that way because we had counties around us that did it that way and it worked fine and and they were more efficient. Well, guess what? They finally did it about two years ago. They finally uh, converted to where we've got one supervisor that coordinates all these different departments. But you you can get by with a lot less equipment that way. So I, I appreciate what you're saying. 
that's where common sense comes in, and it can come in on a local level, but it's, it requires, um, I guess what I would say, a certain level of common sense that takes the pettiness out of uh, the competition. Right, right you are. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the summer of love. Let's talk about all the riots that went on in 2020. Uh, a lot of that stuff was in the works uh, under Obama, under the community organizer. Uh, certainly, uh, you, you know, the the one percenters and the Occupy Wall Street and some of these other movements that went on. You were still uh, active in policing at that time. Talk about your perspective on just how politicized this whole uh, anti-cop movement became and what can happen to turn that around. Right. So the one of the major watershed moments so um, began with the with Ferguson. Mm -hmm. um, Ferguson was uh, was a sea change in the persecution of police officers. Um, it was done at the highest levels of government. The, um, um, the, the truth of Michael Brown was covered up by um, political leaders from the city of Ferguson all the way up to the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the false narrative of hands up, don't shoot um, uh, spread over this nation like like a literally like a plague and it caused it caused the friction that would later evolve into the George Floyd uh, riots and at the same time law enforcement was curtailed in responding effectively to the out of control riots that took place um, I know officers who were shot during that time period. I I, I went to Portland um, after the George Floyd uh, mess started, and I personally watched as police officers were attacked and injured, and and told to stand down by by the, by the re ludicrous mayor of that of that that idiot. And his police chief at the time, who, um, because of the political environment, literally sent their cops out to be damaged uh -huh. and and didn't care one little bit for either the police or the cities. Portland has still never recovered. Uh -huh. And it won't recover because you still have the same political leadership. You have a couple changes in this in the that, that the most radical, some of the most radical um, council members have, have been replaced, but for the most part, the system is still is still in place there. And so um, you you had a you had a response that really just said, let the cities burn. Let the cities burn. And let's let's just pull the cops out. Let's not let them do their job. Let's order them. Let's order Seattle. Let's let's surrender the precinct. It's it is literally unbelievable 
what leadership did to policing during during those times. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you still have you still have cities that have still embraced that philosophy. Seattle is ridiculous. Portland mm-hmm. ridiculous. You have you have you have the New York who has now because of the liberal left governor and city council have have literally um, curtailed the ability of law enforcement to be effective. So what do you see? You see murders, you see robbery, you see rape, you see out of control crime, and it is not being addressed. It's not being addressed, not because the cops can't do it, but because the cops are not allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, Randy, that's I, I, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Why would people allow that to happen? If you were living in Portland or New York, how in the world can you justify letting this crap go on when you're seeing your your literally your city crumble? Because you're right. I mean, you look at Portland or Seattle, uh, you know, the, the uh, homelessness, the drugs on the street, everything is just... They've turned Seattle into a sewer downtown. They've done the same thing with uh, with Portland. Why aren't people standing up and saying, we got to change this in a big way? You have just asked the $64,000 question. In fact, I actually have a new book coming out in uh, two months called Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. And you can look it up, rescuing911.org, and sign up for notification when it comes out. But it asks this very question. And here's what I believe is going to happen. I'm making this forecast because I'm starting to see people being fed up with their city leaders and allowing themselves to be placed on the altar of sacrifice for the for the 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 political left's weird ideological suicide, and that's what it is. I mean, you you are you're, you're taking a city, take a city. Let's look at let's look at Chicago. The lemmings of Chicago voters didn't have enough with the ridiculous leadership of Lori Lightfoot. All right. Instead of of putting a mayor in there that was actually going to do something about the out-of-control crime, they put in this other idiot who is worse than Lori Lightfoot, mm-hmm. is whose ideology is absolutely perverted. And as a result, this, never thought the city could get worse, but it's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Until the people rise up, and only rise up physically, I mean, rise up intellectually and politically and say, enough is enough. Now, remember, I'm a huge believer in history. We, I saw this happen with my own eyes in New York, right? During the 60s and 70s, New York was a sewer. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't walk down in Central Park. You, you would be a target. I didn't feel safe as a cop in New Jersey going there, <laughs> even though I was carrying a gun. It was it was a it was a city that, that that was like some weird sci-fi movie 
where you could just like the streets now that we see that you know, there were junkies on the street, there was needles in their arm, and and nothing was being done. Even though even though the laws were on the books, nothing was being done. Well, what happened? The people finally said enough is enough. And they brought in Rudy Giuliani as the mayor. Rudy Giuliani put into place a completely different criminal justice system where they allowed the police to police. They came up with innovative ideas. But what took place was a mandate by the people. We're done with this. We're not going to be victims anymore. We're going to put some government in place that does what the government should do, which is protect the people. And it literally took a city that was the least safe city in the nation and made it one of the safest mm -hmm. cities in the nation. So it can be done. It has been done. And eventually, the people are going to say, we've had enough. Unfortunately, and I, so let's look at, at this recent case here where this 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 scumbag illegal alien murderer killed this innocent girl down in Georgia, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is a moment that could coalesce into a, a true political change. It, and it unfortunately, it is going to take pain and blood and and in order to turn that into a movement that says enough is enough there's got to be a moment just like the just like we've seen moments where a michael brown thing happens well on the other side of the spectrum a moment that where the people say this should never have happened just like this young girl should be alive today she should be she should be going through her her studies she should be living a life she should be having children in the future and instead her life was cut short by somebody who never should have been allowed into this country but because of politics was the people have to stand up the people have to say we're not doing this anymore mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well just before this show, uh, the previous uh, host played a, sh a short clip on there about uh, a, a black group in Chicago talking about it. We have had enough of the Democrat Party. Yes, the Republicans aren't a whole lot better, and there's truth to that. Uh, if you get into the establishment Republicans, they're just about as slimy as the establishment Democrats. But the fact is, uh, we, we've got to make some uh, obvious choices here. What do you think about, and I, I'm getting a little away from policing on this, but this goes right to uh, January 6th. What do you think about the fact that we can't trust our elections anymore in this country uh, when we criminalize being going to the Capitol to uh, insist on honest elections, and we let people burn down cities like Minneapolis, uh, Portland, and Seattle 
and they get nothing, how do we handle that kind of a discrepancy yeah. in the way the law is is handed down? Yeah, no, you're you're the undermining of the criminal justice system is is will be the death of this nation. Mm -hmm. um, if people can't believe in their own government and the way that they um, enact and enforce laws, then the very fabric of this nation crumbles. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in this amazing document called the Constitution of the United States. Our founding fathers were wise beyond belief in the way that they crafted the Constitution. And if the Constitution um, crumbles, our nation crumbles, and we have seen the undermining of the Constitution by the powers of, of um, the, the top levels of government and the weaponization of an organization like the FBI and the DOJ. <clears throat> this is so critically important and so much of, of an undermining of this nation <clears throat> that if, if our nation crumbles, it's because of this. It's because of the failure to protect the people from the government. Mm -hmm. and, and unfortunately, I've, I've seen the perversion. I mean, I've watched this idiot Mayorkas. Uh, he's not an idiot. He's actually a very cunning guy. Oh, yeah. He's doing exactly what he's being told he's, to do. He's, that's, a, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, but, but he's doing it with impunity. He's lying to the American people with impunity. The, the, the entire Russian hoax thing, no, no one's ever been prosecuted for it. This is, it's, it's, it was treason. Mm -hmm. It was treason. And we are seeing treasonous activities by, by some of our leadership that is simply being wiped under the rug. Mm -hmm. And so this is the undermining of America. The people need to believe in something. The people need to believe that their government means something, that their government is there to lead and protect, and, and to do so with what, what Lady Justice really stands for. Impartiality. Impartiality. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the disruption of that, the mismanagement of that, is taking place. We're watching, we're watching a perversion of the criminal justice system because of ideological reasons that, quite frankly, defy any sense of common sense. It, it's, it's absolutely unimaginable to someone this, that, that can view things with an impartiality to see how the government of the state of New York can continue to tout low bail, no bail, and allow criminals to, to freely walk the streets with impunity and say that they're doing it in the name of racial equity, when in fact, 
the people who are most victimized are in the same neighborhoods that the politicians are saying that they are allowing the, the lawless to roam around without fear of consequences to victimize. It, it, it defies any sense of, of common sense. Mm-hmm. And yet we're seeing it. And there is no one in the, in the city, in the state of New York, that is standing up and saying, well, listen, we tried this and it just didn't work. Right, right. Right. Well, what you're saying is is uh, is so damn logical, and I guess what it boils down to is we've got to get people that um, understand that their lives are at stake here. We're we're talking about the future of our country. Do we want to stand as a sovereign nation and an independent republic under a constitution, or do we want to let a bunch of nitwit Marxists? take this country down the toilet and, and destroy our national sovereignty? That's a pretty pretty easy question for me to answer, for you to answer. Why aren't the others answering it that way? Because for years, unbeknownst to people like me, that there has been ideologically reconditioning mm-hmm. taking place in our schools. Schools, yeah. Um, when you have when you have children, I mean, we saw it in Nazi Germany, right? We we see it in the in, in the Islamic republics, where um, where children are being taught to hate, not be, not for any reason other than for ideological reasons. When you are a child and you are fed this misinformation, this disinformation, these lies you are soaking it up like a sponge. And for years now, unbeknownst to a majority of us, this ideological change has been perpetuated. Mm-hmm. And now we are, we, the, the barn door is, is, is unfortunately been open for so long. I don't know that we can recover. Because you you have literally millions of people who have been um, who have been conditioned to believe that this nation is evil, that our constitution is is outmoded, that um, that that Marxism is the the fair way to go, mm-hmm. um, and so when you have that that conditioning you have you you have people that are believers and how do you change core beliefs you have to you have to have intelligence enough to look and say all right let me look at this impartially well impartiality has become a thing of the past in many of the ideological philosophical approaches now mm-hmm. You know, you and I look at at at, at something like this a, a law that gets passed that says California, the the misinformation of that that began it was Prop One Eighty Seven, I think it was that began the downward slide for public safety, and it was fed to the Ameri- it was fed to the California public 
as a public safety measure, when in fact it was just the opposite. Exactly. And, and, and but these this this ideological approach has really taken on a life of its own, and and you have low information, no information voters who hear a tagline and go, oh yeah, okay, I, I understand now. When in fact, they have been taught not to think. Mm-hmm. They've been taught not to approach a topic and say, let me get my information about this. And then you have a media that has been complicit for years in legitimizing this approach. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is called indoctrination. Yeah, yeah, that's where we're at. We're in an uh, indoctrinated world. Randy, um, the media is a big part of this, and this is something, you know, we're talking about the kids, and there's no question, our school systems have turned into sewers. Uh, that's why a lot of people now are taking their kids out of public schools and actually homeschooling. I think that's the best approach that a person can have is homeschool your kids. There's a lot of good ways to do that without putting them in that uh, public sewer. But what do we do with the media? Because the media right now, the so-called mainstream, and I refer to it as lamestream or downstream, um, but the fact is... That's also why programs like this and stuff that you're on quite a bit uh, is getting a lot of traction because people are looking elsewhere for their news. They realize that what they're hearing is not news, it's indoctrination. Right. And, and so, you know, you've got to, you walk a thin line here. Um, the media is unfortunately controlled by those on the left. We know that people like George Soros, who are billionaires, are controlling much of the media. And just as they're buying, um, they're buying p- p- political positions, such as more than 60 district attorneys being placed into office by George Soros money, who are literally, I, I call them... Um, Trojan horse prosecutors, because they've been put into this position by the voters who are low information, no information voters, by the billions of dollars of the likes of George Soros. But Soros is, to me, is public enemy number one. Yeah. He, yeah. but but he's a he's a he's a frequent visitor with Joe Biden, so he's throwing out the agenda that they want to perpetuate with his millions and millions of dollars and all this, the media that he owns. Mm-hmm. So then here's, here's the, here's the other side of that coin where we have to be so careful. The media can't be, should not be controlled by anyone. Right. The media should, the, the true role of the media is critical to our nation, and that is to be the watchdog. I mean, what 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 they allowed what they allowed to not be covered because of political expediency is is absolutely 
undermining our society. They won't cover the, the truth. They won't cover the reality if it's inconvenient for them. Let me give you an example. You know that I'm a, I'm a commentator for different news outlets on law mm -hmm. enforcement topics. Mm -hmm. Well, one of those large media outlets that begins with three letters and ain't Fox <laughs> reached out to me after the murders, the, the vicious murders of, of Dallas police officers by a follower of Black Lives Matter. This was one of the deadliest days in, in history for law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And they reached out to me to do an interview. And I got to say, I was surprised, but I was pleased because that meant that they wanted a true opinion by a true law enforcement commentator. So I'm scheduled for, say, 3 p.m. At 11 a.m., I get a call from the producer. And this producer does something that's never happened before or since. They asked me how I was going to answer the questions. Mm -hmm. And I was an idiot. <laughs> you told the truth. And I told them the truth. Mm -hmm. Not realizing what the outcome was going to be, which was stupid of me. Mm -hmm. and, they it, and they canceled the interview. And they instead, they put one of their tame law enforcement commentators who gave them the answers that they wanted. Mm -hmm. This is the way that the left um, promotes their own agenda. They won't give you the truth. That's right. Emissions of facts. It's, it's, uh, it's news by omission. Isn't that the, probably about the best way you can describe it? Because th that that happened to you, it's happened to me as well. Yeah, and that's why this fight is so important. And you know, I believe me, I see on a daily daily basis the human face of the suffering of our law enforcement officers. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, an incredibly high suicide rate. It's rarely talked about. We know the military has a high suicide rate, but the same thing exists within law enforcement. I'm gonna give you a terrible statistic. It's estimated that roughly three to five times the number of police officers who are killed in the line of duty will die by their own hand. Yeah, yeah. That is a statistic that is frightening. It is heartbreaking. And unfortunately, I see it every, almost every single day. Mm -hmm. I live with the suicide. We, we do, and in the Wounded Blue, we deal with physical injuries, but we also deal heavily with post-traumatic stress injury, which is a cause of suicide. Mm -hmm. So I see the real world carnage and the real world heartbreak of where we have become as a society. And my team, I have an entire team made up of cops from around the nation. Everybody on my team has been shot or stabbed or beaten or run over or physically assaulted or suffered PTS and came out on the other side. And yet they continue to serve. I have people in wheelchairs. I have people that have been blinded. 
And they're such heroes because despite their own heartbreak, their own tragedy, they want to continue to serve their communities, their country, and the police who continue to police. Mm -hmm. So I urge anybody that's watching your show, that's listening to your show, to go to thewoundedblue.org. See who we are. See what we do. Give what you can. We are a charity. We get no grants. We get no governmental spending. This is all about people who care about their police that have funded us for the last four and a half years. And we can't do it without people like who are listening and watching your show right now. Well, and it is tax deductible because you are a... Uh, 501c3, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I um, We should promote that. We'll promote the fact that you've written two books called True Blue. Uh, you've written A Cop's Life, and you've written uh, Power of Legacy, The Power of Legacy. You've got a new book coming out, correct? Yep. Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's right. Safety. And this is a call to action. And it's a call to action for us as Americans to band together, to stand up for what we believe and say enough is enough. I'm going to put leaders in office who care about my family, who care about me, who care about you. We can't do this if we don't come together as a nation. Let me tell you, the the more divided we are, the more susceptible we are to falling as a nation. Mm-hmm. And this experiment that has been America, that has been around for 300 years, has been has been the model that the, the, the world has looked to. And many want to see us fall. Many want to see us fall. We can't let that happen. We have to, we have to unify. And we have to we have to stand up for each other. And that's what this book is about. Well, that's a good book. I what you're talking about, and we we discuss this a lot. It's the we call it. I call it the slicing and dicing of America. This is Marxism. Marxism will not work. Communism will not work in a society of three free thinking people who stand up for what they believe in, who are moral, who are spiritual who are ethical, and who are brave. They can't stand up to those traits, and that's why they have done so much to try to slice and dice our culture. And uh, they've got the media, they've got education. It's time we take all that back. Uh, absolutely need to take it all back. I've got a, a we, we've had uh, Victor Avila from uh, Texas, the uh, um, he was part of uh, the ICE uh, organization. Uh, he's a border guard. And uh, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned this earlier, Obama and Eric Holder and Fast and Furious. Uh, he was a product of that Fast and Furious crap. He was down in Mexico with a partner uh, trying to track down some of these uh, weapons that were sent down there by the Obama administration. And the cartels uh, uh, 
ambushed him and his partner. They killed his partner, and he ended up with two serious wounds, but he survived. And now he's running for office in Texas. He's running for Congress in Texas. This is the way we fight back to this stuff, isn't it? We get good people that understand uh, what's going on in this country, and we get them in political office. That's 100% correct. And and it is it is heroes like this that have a legitimate perspective from their own experience. Um, law enforcement and military um, make great leaders, and um, we should be putting more of them into office than than those who have never actively served. Never, I mean, you you put a guy who, I mean, Joe Biden, perfect example. Guy's never had a legitimate job in his life. So much, so much of the, of of the the political leadership, they've never held legitimate jobs. Um, and most of them are lawyers. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't even go there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're you're 100 right. We need people who, with real world experience that have shown a um, a penchant for leadership. That um, to be, to be put in a position to protect this country. I mean, you get a guy, a cop. A cop has spent his entire life protecting the people. A service person, a guy who is who is who has served his nation. Service is something that is intrinsic in a, in us. Mm-hmm. And service as a you know as a, 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 a in a political position is something that should be. Um, celebrated by putting people in office that deserve it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, um, you know what you're you're talking, and you represent, and the numbers I've seen are close to a million uh, cops in this country that are serving uh, in local and state, uh, you know, capacities. Um, what are the what are the rank and file? What are they telling you about what they see the country turning into, and what are what are they talking about? How they're going to respond to that? Well, the there's a there's a huge demoralization that's taking place. We have um, we have um, a huge part of the law enforcement community is scared. Not scared of the bad guys, scared of their leadership. And when that happens, you have ineffective policing. You have cops who are disengaged, which goes, which is contrary to why they became cops. So now you have this internal conflict where I want to go out and police. I became a cop to put bad guys away. Mm-hmm. Well, what if I can't put bad guys away? What if my bosses are saying, oh, don't do that? You might get us in trouble. Oh, oh, disengage, disengage. I see, I literally see cops dying because they are afraid to use the force necessary to save their own lives. I I can't imagine anything more heartbreaking than this. I've seen police officers deploy a taser against a firearm. Why? Because they're scared to death to shoot the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so 
what we have is is police officers who instead of enforcing the laws like they should are backing down we have them acting like firemen that 911 call goes out i'll go answer that but i'm not going to go be proactive because that's where i'm going to get in trouble mm-hmm. and and so we have we have police agencies we have politicians who are encouraging that not only encouraging it, they're, they're, they're punishing cops for being cops. Mm-hmm. So, so we have that we have a demoralized culture now, and it's going to take years to allow the police officers to believe in themselves again and believe in the, in, in the concept of justice and act accordingly. Because now for for now for years, they've been told to stand down. And that's this this is what is destroying the um the morale of law enforcement across this nation. Do you um do, do you see this uh this year being a sea change uh through an honest election, or do you think uh like many of us that uh uh, until we really tear the system apart and rebuild it, and I'm talking paper ballots voted in person at the precinct level and uh, using paper ballots, no machines doing the counting, people doing the counting. I, I don't think we're going to st- have another honest election until we get back to basics. Well, I ha- I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I think that... that- that what we what we saw with this last election was election interference on levels that we can't even continue, we can't even conceive of. Mm-hmm. And the way that they are, I mean, utilizing law, I, mean, I, I love this phrase, lawfare, because it's mm-hmm. really, it's, it's exactly what it is. Watching people like this moron Fanny Wallace or Willis, whatever the hell her name is. Willis, yeah. Mm-hmm. Watching her be given the power. Um, and of course she's she's a moron. Mm-hmm. Watching her testify reveals who she truly is. But you have her. You got Letitia James. You've got people that are in absolute positions of immense power who have been put into office for not because of their merit, but because they've been able to manipulate the election for their own, for their favors because of money and politics. And they are utilizing that power illegitimately and getting away with it. What they're doing to Trump is truly one of the most evil things Mm -hmm. I can possibly imagine. Using their positions of authority to attempt to destroy a man for political purposes. I don't care if you don't like Donald Trump. I don't care if they were doing this to Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. You should be just as frightened about their power because next election, it might be the same thing. Mm -hmm. This is... The the you know that that term absolute power corrupts absolutely is about as real as it gets, mm-hmm. and the fact that there's no consequences. I mean, this Fani should be disbarred. She should be prosecuted. 
She's a perjurer. She's a liar. She is utilizing re the, the corruption. Okay, let's talk about what is corruption. Amen. It's the misuse of public power for private benefit. Mm -hmm. That is the textbook term. Whether you take 10 bucks for not giving somebody a ticket or you 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 pay your boyfriend six hundred thousand um, dollars of government money to to put forth a political agenda, that's corruption. Mm -hmm. Corruption needs to be combated instead of being swept under the rug and given the 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 political cover that um, is that it is getting now. It is it is frightening. Well, the injustice that you're talking about, and I'm I'm really glad you got this uh, brought this subject up because I really want to talk about it. We we look at uh, Joe Biden, uh, Hunter Biden, the cover up by the FBI of laptops, the cover up the uh, the whole Russia 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 Gate crap, uh, everything that they've done for the last eight years has been politicized. Every single thing has been politicized. You know, you look at uh, Hillary Clinton's laptop computers, the fact that she was involved in uh, Uranium One, where they took 170-some million dollars from uh, Russia for the Clinton Foundation, and then she immediately turned around and gave away 20% of uh, the U.S. uranium assets uh, to the Russian government. This is the kind of crap that we've been living under the entire Obama administration, but it's come to a head in the last eight years. Why in the world um, do we have this double standard of justice? That's a great question. And I, I, for the for the the reality is that at the top levels of leadership of government, um, it's been compromised, and it has been compromised for a number of years. Um, Hillary Clinton should be in prison. There's, mm -hmm. th there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. She should be in prison. Um, there, there are many leaders, quote unquote, who have um, compromised themselves um, to a point where they have enriched themselves. Do you, I mean, let's let's look at some of the the senators. And Congress people on both sides of the aisle mm -hmm. that 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 have enriched themselves through private information and become multi multi millionaires because of their positions. There should be there should be an internal um, audit of every single senator and congressperson. And if they can't account legitimately for their enrichment, they should be fired and they should be prosecuted. But what we have is we have a system that allows the personal enrichment because of insider information. And instead of it being, um, you know, seeing the light of day, you have what, what you have, and that's why they, they'll never leave office. You know, the, the, the founding fathers didn't anticipate this. No. 
They didn't anticipate this. And yet you won't see anybody from the, either side of the aisle championing the concept of term limits. Mm-hmm. And yet that is exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, we are the founding fathers understood the idea of uh, statesmen. Now we live under a system of politicians, and it has become our new ruling class because the political class is our new royalty in this country. And that's exactly how they've gotten away with this crap for so long is the fact that they are now in the uh, top leadership positions in our country, and uh, they can get away with just about anything. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. And unfortunately, um, if you don't have a law enforcement agency at the top federal level that can be trusted to actively investigate corruption at the highest levels of government, then you have this this withering of the fabric that, that keeps this nation um, together. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 why the that's why when I when you know we talked about earlier, I believe that there should be a complete overhaul of the FBI and the Department of Justice. I agree because the, the politics should never play the role that it is playing now. I'm not saying that 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 it's been different. Maybe for decades we just didn't know about it, but it is so it is so obvious now. And so because of that obviousness, it what it does is diminishes the belief by, of the, by the people that there can ever be any honesty. That's why I think there's such a, a negative haul across this country. The people are disillusioned. Their belief, they're, they're now believing that, you know what? It doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count anyway. Well, I can't do anything about this. Randy, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's why we're doing these programs. Sure. Uh, They're listening to you. They're hearing what you have to say. And that is really what I'm getting at right now. How can people get a message out of this conversation? And how can local policing and people like yourself uh, help to bring this country back? And that's through unity. That is by um, learning and being well-informed. The, the, the less that people participate in their local elections, the more the power slips away um, and be given to people that don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. But it actually takes effort. You have to know who's going on the school board because they are leading the future. And you put people into place in those positions where they can they can literally make decisions about your children. That means you have to take it, you have to take the time. You have to take, you have to make the effort. You have to be informed. The left loves people who aren't informed. And yet, it takes 
it takes a commitment on our part to be Americans, to, to care enough about our country to say, all right, you know what, let me actually look into these local elections and put people into a position that are going to care about me and the people. But that requires effort. And so that's that's literally what my book is all about, um, Rescuing 911. If we don't make the effort to take back our country, we're going to watch it fade away. Yeah, I'm sorry to say that, but you're absolutely right. Now, um, that includes people giving of themselves in uh, running for political office or running for school board or running even for something as simple as a local planning commission. You have a responsibility to volunteer to be part of the solution. If you're not willing to volunteer yourself and your time, then we're going to lose this battle. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and and you're absolutely right. And it, but it takes it takes a commitment. Mm-hmm. It takes a commitment, and you know the 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 reality is this. You know, we're we we get so caught up in in our own lives. You know, I'm in worrying about how am I going to pay the bills, about worrying about um, you know my my uh, my pension. Um, that so much energy is is um, utilized there that we fail to realize that we can all make a difference. I think you know maybe that's something that really, really we need we need to focus on and emphasize is that everybody can make a difference. Mm-hmm. You as you as as a, a, a person who lives in your community have the ability to change lives. Um, it's one of the reasons I became a cop, and I, and I know that, that so many others do, is because through my service, I can change. I can control certain things, and that is how I affect the lives of other people. But every citizen has that opportunity. That's the beautiful thing about this nation. Mm-hmm. That's the beautiful thing about our country, is that we can all make a difference if we choose to. If you change one life, you change history. Mm-hmm. Even if that's through an act of kindness, an act of selflessness, getting involved in something that, you know what, I don't really want to do this, but I feel like it's my duty. Mm-hmm. So we got we we just have to we have to create an environment of um advocating for personal service. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's called the butterfly effect. The environmentalists try to use it to uh, describe uh, man, man-made global warming, which is another one of my pet peeves. But anyway, uh, but they are true about one thing. You said something that's very important. If you affect one life, what you do yourself is absolutely uh, imperative that you do the right thing because that right thing, you never know when the f- person standing in front of you is the next George Washington. That's 100%. 100%. And that's, you know, but that, that, that take, that, that's, you have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And 
that's about personal commitment. Mm -hmm. Personal commitment. All right, being a cop, I I, I want to get um, we we've got a, a few minutes left, but I want to really get into. Um, what the future holds for those who are willing to have the guts to stand up and and do the right thing, and uh, your perception of the future of policing in a republic, getting back to what made this country great. And you said something that is so incredibly important. The function of government should be to protect, not provide. And that's a huge deal. A lot of people want to be provided for. They forget that government should only be here to protect our rights and the the laws of the country so that uh, we don't get our country taken away from us. All right, so we, we, in, in talking about the role of police in America, um, it's very complicated. But and it, it is, it's one, you know, um, everybody has an opinion about the police. They, they it, very often they, they love us or hate us. And, and sometimes there's no in between, but there's a lot of misconception about the police job itself. And the police job is actually, you know, many people think in their, in their minds that it's a, it's a, it's a job that doesn't require a lot of brain power, but that's quite the opposite. Being an effective police officer is a very cerebral job. Um, you have to be, you have to think about not only your own survival, physically, emotionally, psychologically, but also the survival of the people that you're serving. You have to be willing, literally, to um, allow the threats to your own life that are incumbent in the position to not destroy you and your, your mental health. You have to take the risk. You know that every time you have an interaction with another human being, it could be the last interaction that you have. And if you don't understand that, then you shouldn't be a police officer, but you have to be willing to absorb that risk. That's a big ask, right? That's a big ask. So you have to have the wisdom to be able to look at the problems of other people because you're going to be placed in that position that can literally affect their future. Putting the handcuffs on somebody means you have just affected the rest of the days of their lives. Mm -hmm. So you have to use that power wisely. You have to use the power that you are given and understand that that everything that you do as a cop will have an effect on the life of another human being. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very big responsibility. And, it, and you have to develop the wisdom to use that power. Um, I look back now, like I said, I became a cop at 19. And I look back on some of the decisions that I made as a 19-year-old police officer and I, I kind of shudder, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that is so interesting about being a cop is that it is a personal growth experience from literally the day you put that badge on to the day you hang that gun belt up. Mm 
if you allow it. But there's also pain involved. There's emotional pain. Sometimes there's physical pain. And and that's what creates what an incredibly challenging position it is. Because it isn't it isn't about just exerting power. It is about utilizing your power for the good. Mm-hmm. And so that that really requires a thinking person. And I believe that um that although there's been a, a huge diminishment of people's respect for law enforcement because of all of the negative uh, aspects that, that we have talked about, the media, the political environment, all these other things. I believe that, that at the end of the day, police officers will eventually be respected again. Mm-hmm. That that there will be a coming uh, a coming time where people realize the sacrifice and um, and begin once again to understand the role of the police officer in America. You know, Sir Robert Peel, the the, the father of modern policing, um, said it best. He said, "The people are the police, and the police are the people." That simple set of words um, has a much deeper meaning than it sounds like on the surface. Yeah, well, you're right. And and you represent the society in general. And if it's a good society, you're going to have good policing. If you have a bad society, it's going to affect policing in a a very negative way. Um, Psychology. You know, what you're talking about is uh, the cerebral cops, and that's why it's so important to keep the the IQ standards and all the rest uh, up for policing, because the psychology is a huge part of being a cop. Uh, the, the, the fact that you're dealing with all these weird psychological situations, and you've got to have the ability to deal with all this stuff. 100% true, and unfortunately, <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the reality is that it, it can suck the life out of you, too. And that's why we have, we have post-traumatic stress injury, that um, you are exposed to so much that is disappointing of the human condition. I mean, you see cruelty, you see lawlessness, you see um, stupidity. You see, um, you literally, you, you literally see often the worst part of humanity, mm-hmm. and it can become very disillusioning. You know, like I said, almost everybody I know that takes the job of being a cop starts off as an idealist, and when that idealism is stripped away, and your core beliefs are saying, "Well," Wait a minute! I I really thought I this way, and suddenly you're seeing a difference. It can be it can be debilitating. Um, the police job is not for everybody. You better be prepared that you're gonna you're gonna see things that most human beings should never see. You have to be in a position to say. I mean, who who consciously makes the decision that? 
I know that someday I may have to take the life of another human being. You have to come to that. You have to come to terms with that way before you pull that trigger, mm -hmm. way before you pull that trigger. And if you can, I have seen, believe me, in my career, I've seen cops that shouldn't be cops. And I've seen people come to a realization that they shouldn't be in that position. And sometimes I've seen people die because they shouldn't have been cops. That's mm -hmm. kind of a sad thing, but you're right. This isn't a job for everybody. Um, what do you think about the Second Amendment? Well, I'm a huge believer in the right to defend yourself. Um, you know, I was watching, watching the political left try to delegitimize the meaning behind the Second Amendment has just reinforced why it's so important uh, for me. And I'm a, I'm a believer that people have the right to, not only the right to defend themselves, they have a responsibility to responsibility. They, they, they are the ones that, if they will take care of themselves and do it in a responsible way, uh, that makes policing just that much easier, doesn't well, it? Well, just the reality of this is by the time you, you call 911 and I get to your house, you better be able to take care of business because sometimes it's going to be 10 minutes and sometimes it's going to be three hours before I can get to you. So you, unfortunately, the unfortunate reality is you have to be prepared to defend yourself. And that means, that means that taking the responsible ownership of a firearm and, and getting trained in it and understanding, you know, the mechanisms of, of uh, what that gun means, you have that, you have that right. And you have that responsibility to protect yourself, to protect your family. And so the government should never interfere with that. But unfortunately we have, you know, we see the demonizing of firearms in a way that it's it's so ludicrous, blaming an inanimate object for crime. When when you when you remove the consequences of criminal conduct from the equation, and then you blame an inanimate object, right. it's it 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 is it's ludicrous, yeah. and yet we see it every single day, literally every single day. Oh, it's the gun. Oh. Yeah, well, it's a gun. Yeah, exactly. Taking personal responsibility out of the equation. Well, um, you know what you're, uh, I am so pleased to hear you say that. Uh, Oath Keepers, I, uh, I am, am good friends with several of the organizers of the Oath Keeper movement. Uh, I've got friends that are part of that. Mike Nichols, who is a cop from New York, uh, who was one of the people at the Capitol that uh, helped get the cops out of the Capitol building as an oath keeper. These are people that they're attacking now and talking about how the, 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 it was a, an insurrection. We, are, we have gotten so much, I guess what I would call it, uh, convolution in the legal system through lawfare that we've allowed a whole lot of this crap to happen. We've got to stop it. We've got to fight back. We've got to end the, the uh, uh, as you refer to it, as the uh, 
um, they're trying to think of the term you used. Um, uh, oh, Um Well, it's it's propaganda. Propaganda, best term. You use something else, but it was propaganda is really what it boils down to. We need to get the propaganda out of the law. Isn't that uh, a good way to try to put this program to an end? We need to get back to true law fair and uh, not using it as a political tool. I couldn't agree more, but I have an unfortunate sneaking suspicion that because the left has been rewarded for using lawfare in in the evil ways that they are done and been allowed to do it, we're going to continue to see it happen, uh, probably more and more because of the lack of consequences for the abuse of their power. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to we're going to close the program, though, we're going to talk about right around. I've uh... I've, 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 like I said, I've been friends for co with cops all over the country for years. Uh, what about getting citizens to go along and do part of the ride around program with with uh, police so they can see what a cop's job really is? I'm a huge proponent in ride alongs. Um, one thing I saw in in my capacity when I was still working with Metro is that sometimes the people who are um, most vocal in their criticism of law enforcement, um, who are who are given the opportunity to do a couple shifts, suddenly become some of the strongest proponents for law enforcement. Um, this is just like remember all all hatred is based on um, distrust, misinformation and um, ignorance mm -hmm. when and whether that whether that 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 prejudice um, is because of the color of someone's skin, because of religion or because of the uniform they put on. It's all covered under the same ignorance. Right. Mm -hmm. Once people know um, and can literally walk that mile in someone's shoes, you have a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I, one of the things that was, I found very interesting when I took the job here in Metro is the, the Metro Police Department um, recruited from around the country. I came from New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey. I was a cop in New Jersey. And, and so I grew, I grew up with people of, of all different races. There were people that, that took the police job here in Vegas that had never interacted with a Hispanic or a black person. Oh, yeah. it, it's true. Mm -hmm. And so when you aren't familiar with other people's cultures, with other people, that familiarity, then you, 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 you judge not based on, not based on facts, but based on, conjecture and based on what you've what preconceived you thought about notions preconceived yeah. notions right so yeah, people's yeah. perspective changes so same thing when excuse my dog he, 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 he wants to come in and be with daddy um, <laughs> when you when, when you finally allow yourself to open your 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 eyes so to speak and experience what other people experience 
just like a ride-along. It often changes their, their complete opinion. And that's why it's so critical. I am a huge believer in ride-alongs. Yeah, I am too. I've got I even asked my kids to uh, go on a ride-along program because then they understand what your real responsibility, what your real job is. Uh, Thumper's looking up your books uh, on Amazon. We're going to uh, show your books, True Blue, uh, Cop's Life, and uh, Power of Legacy. And your new book is Rescuing 911. And you can, if you want a copy of that, go on to rescuing911.org, fill out the little slip that says, please let me know when the book comes out. And it's a powerful, powerful book. Okay. If I do that and order one, would you uh, please uh, uh, give me a personalized, send me a personalized autograph copy. I'll send the money in. You can count on that. Okay. Amen. Well, Randy, this has been a, a terrific discussion. Uh, Thumper, do we, uh, do we have uh, the Amazon site up? I apologize. I should have sent those to you earlier, uh, but great books. Uh, yeah. A Cop's Life, True Stories from the Heart Behind the Badge. And uh, uh, Randy, you have been uh, a mentor to thousands of cops. You uh, had a project called Policing with Honor, uh, which I think is absolutely essential. Uh, understanding the role uh, of the police in uh, protecting people rather than uh, uh, just you know being being there to fill a job. Yeah, I mean, what happened was I. I wrote an article um, called Policing with Honor, and it was published widely in law enforcement magazines. And it really touched the chord with cops around the country. And I started getting phone calls. Hey, Randy, do you do you speak on this? And so I put a, a, an eight-hour presentation together, uh, and I loved it. I really did. I, I got to meet cops from all over the nation. And here's the thing. In my job as a trainer, especially when I was in charge of, of advanced training for the ninth largest police department in the country, I recognized how important it is to, um, to save ourselves the pain of, of, of not acting properly. Okay. Of, of creating an environment of honor and integrity, because sometimes the, some of the most heartbreaking things I've seen are, are people that, 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 that took their position and fell prey to some of the temptations that they, that they um, were exposed to. Mm -hmm. And it destroyed their careers, destroyed their families, sometimes destroyed their lives. But here's the, the, the nobody wants to be lectured on ethics. Okay. So it's an exceedingly difficult topic to um to present upon so i i i utilized my experience historical you know data mm -hmm. and um and utilized people's own perspectives um in in these classes around the country it's very satisfying well i i'll tell you what um i randy i hope you will uh uh, consider coming back. I, I, I want you as a friend. I think you are someone who 
exemplifies what uh, police work is all about. Let's help work together and let's save this country. Let's bring this country back to the people who love it. And I know you're one of them. So God bless you, my friend. Thank you for being our guest today. My pleasure. And I ask your listeners and, and viewers to go to thewoundedblue.org, see who we are, see how you can help. And if you are a uh, an organization or business that wants to become a sponsor of The Wounded Blue, you can connect with me directly, randy at thewoundedblue.org. It's randy at thewoundedblue.org. Okay. Well, thank you, my friend. This has been a powerful discussion. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, we need to stand up and protect the local cops. So thank you, Randy. I appreciate you being here. And uh, I look forward to uh, uh, talking to you again real soon. And I will order a copy of that book. Okay, Randy, thank you so much. Thewoundedblue.org. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas Oh, from sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston to LA where there's pride in every American heart and it's time we stand and say and I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free and I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me and I gladly stand up next to you Defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt Of this God bless the USA God bless this country That I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget There ain't no doubt.